Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. Great riders, great horses, a great race at a great place. A very warm welcome to this special luck on Sunday here at the Curra, when during the course of the next 90 minutes, I will be joined by a man who has won the Irish Derby four times and has indeed provided Aidan O'Brien with 13 of his 100 European Classic winners. He is Shamie Heffern. And at the other end of his career, Dylan Brown McMonagall bids to end the Aidan O'Brien dominance with victory today on the Derby third, White Birch. He has been the dual champion apprentice, a sensational pony racing uh, champion. He will be joining us later on in the programme as well. And we will also be talking to two men who are very much uh, in the seats of power in Irish racing, both the chief executive of the Curra Racecourse, Brian Kavanagh, and also the chief executive of the Irish Horse Racing Regulatory Board, much in the news this week, Dara O'Loughlin. That is all to come, but it gives me great pleasure to welcome to the show, first of all, classic winning rider Martin Dwyer and classic winning trainer uh, Ger Lyons. Gentlemen, great to see you both. Uh, Martin, um, for you, a day like this is always going to be quite special. There's nothing like a classic horse race to get the blood stirred. Absolutely. Great to be here. You know, love coming to the Curra. Yeah, great, great racing in, in prospect. Looking forward to the derby. And are we expecting simply an exhibition round from the derby winner today, August Rodan? I think so. It's a bit predictable, but I think it's just going to be the same as Epsom. Um, I think White Bears will probably close the gap a bit on this more of a galloping track, but can't see this fella getting beat, can you? Uh, much has been made, Jerry, in the last couple of weeks about putting the Irish derby back on the map, almost kind of restoring it to a, to a standing that perhaps it once had and perhaps it's slightly lost. Where, where do you sit in terms of where this race fits into the, into the overall um, warp and weft of things? I've always thought it's a great race. I mean, we suffer, it, we suffer from the monopoly that is Aidan O'Brien and Valley Doyle at the minute. You know, they seem to frighten off the boys across the water. They're afraid to come over and take them on. And uh, I think the race has suffered because of that. Um, I mean, there can only be one winner of the race and invariably he has the the horse that'll win it or that will scare the others away that said he hasn't won it the last twice so it can be done so I wish the boys across the water would stop being afraid of him and of course there's a degree of significance to, to this year's running because Ryan Moore is seeking a debut Irish Derby winner which is that right? amazing, to, that. amazing that right? to think yeah I couldn't believe it myself when I heard surprised yeah Won everything else. He's only an average rider, so maybe he can get it today. <laughs> we need to bring you a piece of news about one of my guests today who has decided to call time on his own classic winning career.
Kendall looked the outside from Stanleyville. Yesterday, third is drawn near enough, but Kendall Luck has just won the motor photos. Alarthy pole driver, nothing if not game from the far fight and fighting back, and pole driver has gone up to win. Dylan Thomas, the Percy Dozier, the winner from the outside, he's Dragon Dancer, the Percy Dragon Dancer in a pulsating motor phone derby. What a glorious career it's been. One of very few riders to have won the Derby, the Oaks, the Coronation Cup. But, Martin Dwyer, I guess when you know, you know it's been a difficult struggle with injury and now you've decided it's, it's time, to, time to move on. How are you feeling today? Yeah, it's, it's tough, you know, saying it out loud. I've got my head around it. I've known for quite a while now and it's, I've been struggling with this injury. Um, but, you know, I've come to the point where I've thrown the kitchen sink at the rehab and I went to see the surgeon again. I had a another operation two months ago and he just said it's not going to be stable enough or strong enough to, to ride professionally so you know it is what it is and I've uh, just got to get on with it. How tough has it been for you? It's been tough obviously it's, it's to be injured and coping with that because I've been like I've been in pain for a long time because it's just it's just throbs all the time and you know but I've been in good hands the surgeon and the team at Oxy House have been great and I'm getting back to some normality but just got to accept, you know, the uh, career's over and got to move on with things. And um, it's tough because I'm not finishing on my terms, you know. It's, it, I'd like to go out like Frankie. I'd like to do the whirlwind tour, but I'd probably be doing Wolverhampton and uh, Suttle. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, it's, it's, you know, just got to get on with things. And yeah, it's been a tough year or so, but it's time to just, you know, move on with the next chapter. What do you reflect on with most pleasure? Um, I've, I'm, you know, I'm, I've had a great career, I've had a great innings, I've, uh, I've travelled the world, I've, I've, I've ridden at the top level and won some big races, I've met some fabulous people. Um, it's just been a journey that's just been unbelievable. Uh, no one can ever take that 2006 derby away from you. When you, when you look back on, on your career, to what extent does that stand head and shoulders above anything else? Well, it's, it's the pinnacle, isn't it? It's the derby. Everybody wants to, to win the derby. And I only had a few shots for it. I only had probably four or five rides. And to have, to have won it, it was just a special moment. And for the people who won it for, Marcus Dragonin, big supporter of mine. And it was an amazing day. Even now, watch it back, I think, did it really happen? I mean, getting up Johnny Mercer's inside, for one. I mean, I thought, <laughs> oh, man, is that? That's probably the only time in my career it did. But, yeah, you know, I won the derby. I still couldn't believe it, you know. And I think I'm more proud of kind of where I came from, so I didn't have any help, I did it all on my own, I, was, I grew up in Merseyside on a council estate and, you know, if I can do that, that's the great thing about our sport, it's, it's anything's achievable. What was the pivotal moment where, where you realised that actually a career as a jockey was possible? Um, I had to pinch myself several times, there was times I doubted, um, but I think really when I got to the end of losing my claim I thought I'm kind of getting the hang of this a little bit you know I was riding a good few winners and I had my first group winner at Ascot when I was claiming three and then it slowly started to dawn on me I might be able to make a living out of this and do something I love and enjoy and and, it, and then it just this, when the success came it was like in the big races I, I, it took a while to for it to sink in and believe it I actually did have a, a little bit of uh, an inferiority complex, is that what you call it? Inferior? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I can't just, even say it. Just, well, you think, sometimes I used to go out and think, I don't belong here, I shouldn't be. I remember walking out so of the Imposter ride. syndrome. Imposter yeah. syndrome. He wasn't wrong. Yeah. 
I got there in the end. Well, he got there. <laughs> I remember walking out to ride in the Japan Cup. There's like 100,000 people in the stands, and there's people, and I'm like, I was with Frankie the Tory and Mick Canan, and I'm like, I don't belong here. This is what am I doing here? And then you have to kick yourself up the backside and, and get on with it. But it took a while, to be honest, to sink in and think, you know, this is what I do. And who were the people that were, were most instrumental for you? Who do you look back on and think, I'm, I'm so pleased you were there for me? Um, probably Jay Lyons. <laughs> 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 I have to say, I'd be here all day if I named everybody, but I suppose my mum and dad, you know, my dad wrote a letter to Ian Bald and said, will you give him a job? And, you know, he wants to be a jockey. My dad drove me down, he dropped me off and said, you know, don't mess it up, I haven't got any petrol money to come back and get you. And it all started there, and then I suppose Ian and Emma Baldwin, they literally kind of knocked the rough edges off me, taught me how to ride, and taught me everything really. And then after that, I've had so much help along the way Marcus Sagonin, and um, obviously my father in law, William, better mention him, hadn't I? <laughs> and um, so many great people have helped me, and in the waiting room, people like Ray Cochran, you know, it's, it, I've had so much support and help. You mentioned your father in law, William Muir, who's now co training, of course, with Chris Grassick. Is the fact that pile driver is still around, still in training, still winning, still doing well, how much does that hurt? More than me knee. <laughs> um, I'd be lying if I didn't say it's tough to watch it. Um, when he won last week, I was delighted for the team and everybody. It's great, but as any sports person will tell you, you know, when you're on the sidelines and you're watching it and you think, that should be me, and it's not the money, it's not the prize money or what you're losing out on, it's just... It's that thrill of winning at Ascot, and you know I missed the King George winner last year, so it is. It's it's tough to swallow, and I'll, you know every time I watch him run, it's with mixed emotions. But you know it's 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 the game we're in. It's a tough sport. It's um, you play with feathers, you're going to get tickled, and you know I got injured, and that's it. Got to get on with it. But yeah, it's it's tough watching him run, not and, being part of it. And how do you feel about moving forward now with the next phase of your your life and? Whatever, whatever the future holds. Bit of this, bit of that? Yeah, well, yeah. Makes you sound like Del Boy, don't you? Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm excited, you know. I want, I want to move forward, and this is the start of it, you know, just, you know, close the door on that and move forward. And, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. Uh, hopefully, I'm going to be doing lots more media. Probably people thinking, oh, we're fed up with seeing your mug on the telly, but hopefully I'm going to be doing more media work. But you enjoy it, don't you? Yeah, I love it, yeah. It's, you know, I, it's hard as a jockey, you know. You finish and you go... You know, what skill set do I have? I mean, I left school with no qualifications and I've been riding horses for 30 years nearly. You're in the big world, what do you do? But, you know, I love racing, I, I enjoy it and I enjoy, you know, analysing races and watching it. And So I, I, I enjoy the media stuff, so I'm going to be doing plenty more of that on racing TV, hopefully, and other bits and bobs. I'm, I might be doing some ambassador work with um, Unibet, hopefully, and, you know, hopefully there'll be other things that come in. Onto another man who's never, never frightened of being in, in front of the camera and, and, and taking a view. Joe Lyons, how are you? I'm well, I'm well. You, you're in good form? I'm, I'm, I'm healthy, I'm, I'm grand, I'm not training winners, but it's my turn to sit in the back. Is that the way you look at it, though? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, you can't make them run any faster if they don't have it. So you just have to suck it up and put up with it. And There's a saying in our sport, if you don't win at the sales, you don't win on the track. And... I didn't win at the sales recently, so I better sort, sort that out. All right, well, a couple of years ago, you were winning everything. You were winning classics, Irish guineas, Irish oaks. Why aren't you winning at the sales at the moment? Well, because we can't afford, like, my 100 grand horse cost me 300 grand, and I, 
regardless of who I have spending the money, I'll always try and buy value. And for me, personally anyway, the sales are gone. There's no value there. Um, the money that's been spent for, for, what we're, for what's been achieved is, doesn't make sense to me. So you have to take, you know, it's a business at the end of the day. So mm -hmm. if, you, if, if you go in and you keep bidding like some do, I mean, you'll go broke. So you can't do that. But you're a, an incredibly competitive person. You yeah. want to be at the top table and you want to have runners in, in all the classics. Do you still believe, given the fact that you've done that, that is a, a, an ambition that you can realise? Of course, listen, uh, there's everybody who, training's not rocket science, no matter what type of trainer tells you it is, you know, so if you get the, if you get the, the right ammunition, you'll deliver, and we got it in the past and we delivered, and we just have to find it again. It's just, it's like last year in the Premier League, Liverpool were winning everything, and this year they couldn't kick a ball, so it's the same difference. But is it just ammunition, or...? 100% yeah. ammunition, yeah. yeah. So you just need some better horses? Yeah, this year we just need some better horses. It's simple. People go around to you. I mean, you, you've got to be uh, thick-skinned about it. People go around and you say, have you got the virus? And I says, yeah, yeah it's called slow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my horses are that slow, they couldn't catch a virus. But uh, no, it's, it, it's, you'd like to make excuses for them and say it's this and that. But just an ordinary bunch and you have to sort it out. Simple as. Okay, well, we had some Group 1 racing here yesterday at the Cara. Our feature race was the Pretty Poly Stakes. It went to the UK. In fact, British Raiders were first and second. Via Sestina was the winner. Uh, came home in front from Stay Alert. George Bowie trained the winner. Huey Morrison, the runner-up. There was a fairly lengthy stewards' inquiry afterwards. Uh, the results stood, but Jamie Spencer, blue and pink colours, angling out for a run here, received a six-day suspension from the stewards. Uh, first of all, Martin, what did you make of the performance of the winner before we talk about the, uh, the drama of the race? Great performance. This filly's done nothing but improve, and I'm not sure whether she was totally in love with the quicker surface uh, yesterday because she had a lot of performance on soft ground. And to, to accelerate from the back of the field and win like she did, it was a really smart performance. And in terms of what happened in the stewards' room, Joe, were you ever in any doubt that she would keep the race? No, absolutely not. No. Best horse won the race. And in terms of the suspension given to Jamie Spencer, is sort of six days, is that what you would have, would have anticipated? Yeah, my jockey got seven the other day for something else. I mean, I definitely thought he'd get minimum six uh, for that. I mean, they're throwing suspensions out harder now than they were. Um, but I wouldn't think that Jamie could do anything about it. I would say it was, it was the horse on the ground and, uh, and hanging in. Like, you'll see him here swooping down. But there's no question the best horse won. Uh, Ross Carberry was the, I would say, the, even though probably she was going back, but she was the one who suffered the most best horse won the race. Martin, you're good friends with Jamie Spencer. You, know, you shared many good days with him. Two Group 1 wins in a week for him, although he, can, he has a way of deflecting it, as he did in the interview yesterday. That'll mean an awful lot, won't it? Absolutely, because he's, you know, he won't mind me saying he's found it hard to find rides at the top table, and I know he was really upset at Royal Ascot. He wasn't riding Artorias in the sprint. The Australian horse, he rode in the race last year, and then he he got on Charlie Hills' horse, who went and won, and you know he gave her a great ride. And um, he's riding better than ever, Jamie. It's just sometimes you can fall out of fashion a little bit. And um, no, he's, he's riding amazingly well. And I think, I mean, we all know Jamie. When he comes from the back of the field and he comes to win as a jockey, he always closes the door on his way past. That's it's not dirty riding, but it's just a professional foul. And I think yesterday the filly was probably feeling the ground, and she's she's going in that way. And the rules say you should put your stick down and straighten the your horse up and it's a hard thing to do that as a jockey when you come to it you don't want to lose your momentum so you kind of know you're causing a bit of interference but it's a hard thing to stop riding and, and steer away you, you, your mindset is 
going to win. It is just interesting picking both your brains on this because I think there is a school of thought. We're actually going to be talking to Darrow Lachlan in a minute from the, the IHRB, the regulator here in Ireland. There is a school of thought that in Britain and in Ireland, there's just too much roughhouse riding and that jockeys are just taking too much of a, of a liberty. And, you know, it's only a matter of time if the rules don't tighten up that, that people, people get hurt. What's your, what's your take on that, Joe, as a, as a former jockey and, and now a trainer? No, I, I think the, the authorities have gone too reactive rather than proactive. I mean, I've seen incidents over here where if the jockey didn't get a fall, they wouldn't have done anything about it. It was just because the horse nearly went down that they made something of it. Do you know what I mean? Whereas you'll see lads like, like what Martin said, Jamie coming and closing the door. That's a professional foul. Lads, are that, they do that all the time. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you just need to slap them on the knuckles for doing that. You know, you can't. You'll see the stick. Like, personally, I'd have took Holly, down, Holly Doyle down in Ascot. Would you? I would, yeah. Why? Because she was wrong. You know, she, she went all the way across the track like that, and she was wrong. I'm not saying the best horse didn't win, but she, you know, she... Like, it's a professional thing what she's doing, and she knows she's doing it. As Martin says, put your hands down and stop riding. So why would you have taken Bradsell down at Ascot and not taken Via Sestina down yesterday? Well, that thing won two and a half lengths going away. But if, you're, but if you're basing it on the fact that best horse wins race... Because she went off a straight line all the way across, intimidating the other horse, and... I just thought she made no effort to correct the horse. But it is, is it about a riding offence or is it about, on the balance of probability, would the horse that suffered the interference have beaten the horse that finished in front? Well, who's to say? Who's to say? I mean, the, the, the filly that finished second, wasn't able, your man wasn't able to ride her. Only on that last stride, though? No, well before the last stride. She started going across there and he accepted it. It's, it seems to be there's a standard of it's how far you're beaten. Mm -hmm. mm. So if you're beaten... Uh, more than a neck, it's like they'll never turn it around, so there's not a problem. I actually, I can see where Jay's coming from. With Holly at Ascot, her horse was drifting. She actually had quite a long rein, and she just... I know, because I've done it, you kind of... You know you're drifting, and you, can, you know something's coming, you're thinking, it might beat me. And you kind of think, do you know what? I'll keep this race. I might get a couple of days, but I'm just going to keep going. So that is going through your head? That, I've, I've you're done it making myself. that I've done, I'm, not, I'm guessing this is what Holly thought, because I've done it. Mm. You, know, you know, I'm half length up on Jay, but he's gaining on me, and I'm drifting, and I'm like, I should stop riding, correct my horse, because that's a rule. But in your mind, you're like, if I do that, he might come and beat me. Mm. So you'd rather win... And win half a length yeah. and fight and make sure you keep it in the studio room. Well, no such tactics were required in the first couple of races yesterday, and I think these are well worth seeing. Um, first of all, the, the early stud stakes, uh, which took place at 2.15 yesterday. Uh, Matrika was the winner. She finished second at Royal Ascot. She wheeled back just eight days later, and she won really decisively. Um, it, it just does go to show that you can bring horses back quickly, even if they're two-year-olds, and they can take the racing well, they can hold their condition, they can travel, and they can win. Absolutely. I think Aidan's done that quite often, coming back from Ascot with horses at this, at this meeting, and um, she never looked in doubt. I was surprised they split in, uh, into two groups here. I would have thought the ground was better on the stand rail, would it not be? What do, you think, what do you think the thinking was there, Joe? Do you think one or two of the I jockeys up, just thought... Oh, no, I gave up thinking what the jockey's going to do in the stalls. <laughs> 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 I mean, some places, times over here, they watered the track. And the jockeys come up on the unwatered part, and I'm going, you know, I don't know what's going on. When the stall's opening, God knows what's going to happen. But uh, in historically, best side's always this side. The stand side? Yeah. yeah. And is that a ground thing, or is it just the way that the, the layout When, when the they're racing is. right under the stands, mm -hmm. but when they're in the middle of the track, when you know, later on in the summer, there's no bias. But at, at, like at the minute, there'd be a bias on, for the stand side.
I've always thought Curris it's an open track, a little bit like Newmarket. So especially on T roads, I've always felt you you want to be close to the rail and and, and and less to look at and less open. And you think that Newmarket, Rowley Mile, was the windiest place on God's earth until you come here on a day like this. It's blowing an absolute <laughs> hurricane outside at the moment. We will be joining Fran very, very shortly, but not before I've shown you City of Troy, who's by Justify out of Together Forever and made a winning debut in the opening race here yesterday. Boy, oh boy, I was impressed with this. And Ryan Moore, after the race, said that it was the first time he'd ridden a two-year-old here and barely be able to pull the horse up. He got all the way down to the right at the bottom of the pull-up area. I love the run-out. When you see, that's nine times out of ten, I, I've watched my horses see how they run out. That tells you more than what you actually see in the race. And when you see, when you see a horse nearly hitting the boards here, you know they're okay. Absolutely. Sometimes you can learn more about a race after the winning post. And this horse, he picks up well and he's won his race. And then Ryan, he kind of eases down. He drops down through the gears here. His ears are pricked. But I think when the other horses catch him up a bit, he goes again, doesn't yeah. he? And he kind of runs into the boards at the end. He's full of running. There's plenty of petrol in the tank. He looks a class horse. Fran Berry there, more from Fran in a little while. As I said at the beginning of the show, the Irish Horse Racing Regulatory Board, the regulator here in Ireland, has been in the news this week because it was called as a matter of process to the Public Accounts Committee as a taxpayer-funded body uh, on Thursday where the Chief Executive, Darrow O'Loughlin, told the Public Accounts Committee that he under, had uncovered a matter of grave financial significance within the previous 48 hours that prevented him from asking many of the questions that were being asked to him. And, and Dara uh, joins me now. Um, Derek, good morning. Thanks, for, good thanks morning. for joining us on the show. Just exactly what happened here at the, at the Public Accounts Committee? If I could step back 48 mm. hours, as you say, I was preparing. I was sitting in my office, which, as you know, is right behind us here. Yeah. Going through the accounts for 2021, the financial statements, the annual report, and it's a bit like swatting for an exam. You're going up in front of this committee. You want to be able to answer the questions. You want to be able to give factual, truthful, accurate answers. So stepping through it with a couple of colleagues and then an issue emerged, and you'll have to appreciate I can't go into any more detail with you than I could with the committee, sure. but I became aware of something that did cause me, as I said, great concern, a grave concern. I had to call that meeting to a halt and immediately contact the chair of our Audit and Risk Committee, contact the chair of the board, convened a board meeting for the following day. And this might all sound a bit excitable, but the nature of it is it's a financial governance issue. It's not a misappropriation issue. That's not what it looks like. Can you explain stage. the difference between the two things? What's the difference between a financial governance issue and a misappropriation of funds well, issue? Misappropriation for personal gain is, means somebody took money for themselves. Mm -hmm. And I don't believe that's what happened here. That's not what it looks like. But financial governance is a broader, sure. broader term. And maybe it's a bit generic and it doesn't give you the information you want. And you have to appreciate that I can't give you the information you want. We have now notified our auditor, the controller and auditor general. We've notified HRI because they're our funder. We've notified the Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine because obviously he has ultimate responsibility. We're now working with a firm called Mazars, who are quite well known, and they're going to conduct a review for us, establish the facts. Once we have all the facts and they, we have the findings, we will be able to publish the findings and we'll be able to act on mm. those. But between now and when we get that review concluded, we won't be able to say any more than we have said. But misappropriation might not necessarily always mean for personal gain. It might not mean that somebody, for example, is had their hands in the till or is trying to take money or is trying to you know, take money nefariously, it might mean that that money has been misapplied or the you know, practice that's taken place that is inherently unethical. 
all of which would fall under the category of financial governance, as right. would various other financial matters. Now, it's a matter of public record, Dara, that your predecessor, Bar One, your, your official predecessor, Dennis Egan, received a payout that was significantly in excess of the minimum threshold payout that he himself had, uh, had, had put in his, in his rules, uh, and that that payout had come from the, the Turf Club and the Irish National Hunt uh, Steeplechase Committee. Can you confirm that the issue that you're looking into is related or unrelated to Dennis Egan's departure from the IHRB? I'm not going to get into any great detail, but the portion of the payment that was funded by the clubs, the INHSC and the Turf Club, was funded by the clubs from their own resources. Okay. And can you explain what the difference is between their own resources and taxpayers' money? What, what is taxpayers' money and what are their own resources? So one of the things that we have to do is make sure that we ring-fence what is the IHRB, which is the taxpayer-funded piece, the, the regulator. Mm -hmm. That's who employs me. So my contract of employment is with the IHRB. So we ring-fence that here. Then we've got the clubs. Obviously, the turf clubs existed since 1790. The INHSE since the mid-1800s. They have their own resources. They have members who've paid membership fees going back 150, 200 years. Uh, the turf club has such a long history. It has assets. It has a deep, uh, deep involvement and deep heritage in, ra in racing, all of which means that they have accumulated their own assets, which belong to the club and are private and are separate from the IHRB. So now your Chief Financial Officer, Donald O'Shea, is on, on voluntary leave. Um, can you confirm whether you asked him to, to leave or whether it was his decision? It was definitely one or the other, but I'm not going to engage in, uh, same as I wouldn't in the Oireachtas Committee, and it would be a disrespect to that committee for me to give more information now than I did then. I'm not going to say anything that could prejudice anybody's mm. position or lead inferences being drawn. Who is currently running the finances of the IHRB if you don't have a CFO in place? We have a team of people. He wasn't the only person working in finance. We have a finance team. As I said to the Oireachtas Committee, it's a team of five. It's now a team of four. But if, but if you've got a, a grave financial situation and you don't have a leader of your finance team, how can the sport have confidence that you're regulating it properly? The sport can have confidence that we're regulating it properly because we've got race officials up and down the country at every race meeting in the country who themselves have no role in the financial governance of the IHRB but who are experts in what they do. They're experts in racing. They're passionate about what they do. And even listening to the, the two guys chatting here about what goes on in Stewart's inquiries and one of them said that suspensions are being handed out, stricter suspensions being handed out more easily now. That's all part of what the regulatory function is, and we have a great new senior stipendiary, Stuart Liam Walsh. We are trying to achieve consistency. We are taking things like interference more seriously because it's a safety matter. It's not just a race riding issue. So for whether it's judges or starters or stewards or security or the veterinary team, they're all still doing a great job. They're all professionals who are passionate about what they do, and this should not reflect on them. Darryl, you've only been in situ a year, and you've got quite a big mess to, to clear up. Why weren't any of your predecessors, board members, being called before the Public Accounts Committee to account for the mess that they'd left you with? When the invitation to the committee was accepted, because the invitation didn't just mm. come in this week, it came in several weeks ago, it was for the, it's for the chief executive, because the legislation actually clearly states that it's the chief executive who is the accounting officer for the public funds, and that's who must come in to the Public Accounts Committee. Are you... Are you personally comfortable that your predecessor received €141,880 more than he should have done under the regulations that he himself set down? I'm comfortable that it didn't come from taxpayers' funds. Would I say 
that that's how I would have done it while I was clear in the Oireachtas Committee. I wouldn't necessarily have done it that way. I don't think that the staff of the IHRB, and I haven't done a survey on this, but I don't believe that they're delighted to see it because our resources are limited, and you've heard me say it before, we do the best job that we can with the resources that we have. I would not be surprised if there are members of staff in the IHRB who are saying, oh, there was money for that, but there isn't money for this. There was money for and that. that would but be I... reasonable of them to say that. Well, we've seen that the staff in RTE are, you know, there's a lot of disquiet in RTE over what was going on at the top. And I, I would hate to think, but I could see how it would be possible that, that some of our great staff who are doing a great job, who are working hard, might think, hey, hang on a second now. You know, I'm out here in the wind and the rain. I'm down in the stable yard. I'm in the parade ring. I'm out on the track. Where's my bump? Are you cleaning up the shop? Is that what you're saying? We receive a lot of taxpayers' money every year, Nick, and we've talked about this before. We, this year we'll get over 11 million euros of taxpayers' money. Taxpayers are absolutely entitled to think that we are spending that properly, that we're using it properly, and that we can properly account for it. So it's not a question of cleaning up, but do I think improvements can be made? Absolutely. Do I want to make improvements? Absolutely. And I said it to the staff on a webinar last Thursday when I came out of the Oireachtas Committee. I have high standards for myself. I demand high standards of other people, and I, I will be demanding the highest of standards from everybody in the IHRB. I'll come back to your use of the word grave in front of the Public Accounts Committee. You're not someone who strikes me as a, as a person who deals in hyperbole or using words that, or wasting words, or using words like that if you didn't really mean that this was a very, very serious situation. I was looking through the portfolio of the IHRB last night, and I couldn't, I couldn't help noticing that, that you you run and, and regulate four really important charities that are, are absolutely crucial to this, to this industry. Could you give everyone watching an assurance that, that the, 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 the running and regulation of those charities has not been affected by any financial impropriety? I'm not in a position to get into any kind of detail now, as you'd accept. So you, I can't, want you, this... can't, you can't give that assurance? I can't address any form of speculation okay. and I can't answer any specific questions. Because you understand that's a, very, that's a very important Oh, issue. it isn't that I don't understand the question. Mm. No, no. What I'm saying is that until the independent review has been carried out and we're very much in the hands of the reviewers, we will facilitate and cooperate with this review to the fullest extent. Until that has concluded and we have findings, I'm not going to respond. I can't respond to any kind of direct queries or speculation. You've got a hell of a lot on your plate. You're trying to introduce new interference rules. You're trying to, to change the rules on, on the whip. Am I right on both of those? Sanctions rather than rules in both cases. And yes, you're correct. And as of Tuesday, the new sanction guidelines will be in place. It's stiffer sanctions for breach of the whip regulation, stiffer sanctions mm -hmm. for any form of interference, be it careless, be it improper, be it dangerous riding. And as I said to you, we see that as a safety issue. Any kind of danger, any careless riding or improper riding interference that could lead to a jockey ending up on the ground is clearly a safety issue. Okay, Joe, how would you how would you respond to that as a as a day-to-day -day practitioner here in in Ireland? I've never met this man before. He's the head of the turf club. Uh, he's in the job a well, year. He's the chief executive of the Irish Horse Racing Yeah, well, he's in the job yeah. a year, and I've never met you. You had a year to meet the likes of me, and you haven't done so. As regards the financial thing, it's above my pay grade. But I would say, I think shame on you that you haven't met me in one year. You should have made an effort to meet me, or somebody like me. Um, we're part of the nuts and bolts of the game, and you've got to come out and meet us, and you know, breed the same way we're, we're breeding, and, and get a feel for what's going on. Um, you wouldn't know me from Adam, but you should do, and I should know you. And I think that speaks volumes.
So. There. I acknowledge that I haven't met Chair before. I have met a lot of practitioners. I've been out. I haven't been able to get out racing and meeting the stakeholders to the extent that I would like. And Chair, I'm sorry I haven't met you. And I actually look forward to meeting you again because I was standing behind the camera there listening to you and you have a lot of very interesting observations that I took in. I'm new to racing. So there's lots of trainers I have met, lots of trainers I haven't met, lots of jockeys I have met, lots of jockeys I haven't met. I have met with the IRTA. I have met with the Jockeys Association on numerous occasions, built a good working relationship with Ryan McElligot, built a good working relationship with Andrew Coonan, trying to get out and meet people as much as I can. At the same time, stuck in that office up behind the camera far more than I might want to be, trying to get a job done. What would you say to that, Joe? Yeah, it's, it's fair enough. I just... The thing I noticed all the thing, until Friday I didn't know who, I, if, you, if you gave me a hundred quid I couldn't have mentioned his name, who the leader of the, H, the IHRB was. And then when this broke, obviously I, I seen it, but a, a name to the, you know, a face to the picture exactly. You know, I knew who he was walking in then, but until that I didn't know who he was. You knew who Dennis Egan was? I did, of course. Yeah. Did you think he did a good job? I'll, uh, um, I'll, 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 I'll you, say... You might not have known Dara's name, but do you think on what you've I'm heard not this morning, that Dara's going to do, do a better job for your, for your I regulator? No, I have no... I'm, I'm of the opinion, so I'll, 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 I'll uh, get off the fence and tell you where I stand. I think it should be one authority in Irish racing, and that's HRI. I'm not a turf club man. It's not the Irish Horse Racing Regulatory Board. You're not an IHRB man? No. I don't think we need two, two authorities. I think uh, one authority, and that's it. I mean, Dara, you're, you're quite clear on this in, in, in terms of your... Your knowledge of the governance of Irish racing, why, why is there a, an overarching governor, the Horse Racing Ireland, and a separate regulator, the IHRB, or a subsidiary regulator? Yeah, and the question has even gone up as far as the Department of Agriculture and the Minister, and the view is that it's better to keep the regulation of the sport separate from the promotion of the sport. The regulator should be separate from people who are trying to encourage the purchasing of Irish thoroughbreds, the prize money, luring people into racing here. The regulatory side in most other professions is entirely separate from the promotion, whether it's vets who are regulated by one body, promoted by another, doctors, pharmacists, accountants, lawyers. There's a promotion body and there's a regulatory body and they are separate. And that separation of powers is very important because it prevents conflict of interest. In an ideal world, in your ideal world, how long would you like to be doing this job? My contract is for seven years. Mm -hmm. I think that might be a matter of public record. If it wasn't, it is now. Um, I have a year gone, I have six years left. I'm hoping that in the course of the six years, we can really sh you know, turn this ship around, sharpen our pencil, throw every other cliche at it, but just make sure we are recognized for doing the right thing and doing it the right way. Welcome back to Luck on Sunday alongside Martin Dwyer, Ger Lyons, and a man who has a ride for Joe Lyons today, but I don't think Joe would mind me saying, more importantly, has a very significant ride in the Dubai Duty Free Irish Derby. That ride is White Birch, and this man on my right is the dual champion apprentice, multiple pony racing champion, the sensation, the boy wonder from Donegal, Dylan Brown McMonagall. Great to see you, welcome. Thank you very much, good um, to be here. Nice to have you on the show. Um, today, riding the Irish Derby on a horse that has a, a meaningful chance of, of bustling up August Road. How are you feeling this morning? Really good. Um, very excited. Uh, first ride in the Derby, obviously. Um, and for a horse to have a, a nice chance, it's, it's something exciting. There are the races you want to be riding in. So to be in with a shout on a live chance is it's unbelievable, really. How did the ride come about? Um, obviously, Colin was very unfortunate to, to get a few days. Colin um, Keane. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
um, he was his right, he rode him in the Epsom Derby. Um, then obviously Colin got ruled out and I got the phone call off George and he confirmed I could ride him and I was delighted when I found out. Um, really thankful to Connections and everyone who's let me on board because obviously there's a big wearer in there and they could have choose anyone they wanted really because I can only imagine the phone calls they were getting for people looking to get on them so I was a lucky one. And can we get this out of the way now uh, and just give all the plaudits to your agent Kevin O'Ryan because if I don't say it then he'll give me all sorts of grief a little bit later on. He does, he does a great job for you doesn't he? Of course, um, definitely. Gets me loads of outside rides and uh, I'm very grateful for all he does but he's doing a good job. And I think you're, you're in every race bar one today or something like that? Or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not in the Rockingham, that's the only one, um, but busy apart from that. Okay, so when you look at today's race, is there a way in your mind's eye that you can pull this off? Hopefully, um, you kind of go through the race in loads of different ways of how it's going to unfold. Um, how that's going to happen, we're going to have to see when the gates open, but we've got plenty of plans and favourite's obviously going to be very, very hard to beat. Um, he's a top-class horse and he's got speed and he stays well, so it's going to be a tough task, but we'll give it our best shot. And not only that, you've got a, a phalanx of other, other O'Briens in the, in the race to try and weave your way through, get round and, uh, and so forth. That's clearly going to be going through your head as well. Ah, yeah, exactly. We'll just have to take it as we find it and uh, ride the race as it comes and whatever happens, happens. I'd love to see the best horse win um, and hopefully it's mine. I think they'll be finishing off well. The car is going to sit in good. Um, there's plenty in our favour today, not like last time, so uh, hopefully. Take me right back to, to where this journey, which has gone very far, very fast, where did it all begin? What's your earliest memory? Um, really, it was just sitting up on ponies and stuff when I was younger at home, and one thing led to another. I went um, I got some riding lessons with Rachel Carton. Um, she taught me loads. I was going down there every Tuesday night, and cold wet nights and getting lessons off her and um, I used to ride a little pony called Kipper for her and I started off the local pony races with her then in the pony racing and once I got the bug for speed that was it. One thing led to another. My uncle Adrian and my whole family had horses pony racing throughout and got loads of good support there and learned a lot through the pony racing ranks and one thing led to another and we worked hard from a young age and delighted it's all paying off. So you were you were an adrenaline junkie from the moment you could really remember. Exactly. The faster the better. For sure. It's it's like everyone wants to get bit by the bug. There's no coming out of it. So um, I'm really blessed the support and, and the luck I've had so far in my career. Um, I'm being really, really lucky to get on some really good horses. My gosh, Joseph's looking after me really good as well. Um, and everyone else along with it. Are you one of these infuriating people that can turn your hand to most sporting endeavours? Because I know you're a very, very talented boxer as well. We did that for a while. Um, it was more for the fitness side than anything. Um, but you were good at it, right? Yeah, I was okay. I won a few titles and things, but the racing was always going to be the background. How, how many titles have you won, Martin? I haven't, I haven't won any <laughs> titles, but I, I, I know... He's incredibly modest, so yeah, I've won a few titles. I've heard he's a very good sportsman, and I know Frankie found out you were a champion boxer at Ascot <laughs> last year and quickly stopped having a go with you, didn't he? I wouldn't say that, but um, that's all forgotten about. It's really good to actually have behind you for, for always in life. Um, I think people respect you a lot better, and even growing up in school and stuff, it was always handy to have because you could always stand up for yourself and... The bigger boys always looked down to you and they knew kind of, all right, we better not mess with him or they might get shocked, you know, that kind of way. And, and yeah. it's, it's a good thing for everyone to respect you a bit better, I think, and you're able to stand up for yourself that bit more. You'll it's definitely helped you in, in, <laughs> in 
a career as a jockey. For sure, um, it definitely toughens you up and you can hold your own when you need to. You'll be unsurprised to know I'm not a great boxer, but the people I know who do you incorporate that as part of their training, incredible discipline as well. Yeah, for sure. It's unbelievable. Um, from, from the get-go, it was kind of... The two sports blended in well because you have to be really fit to ride horses and your weight has to be good, and it was the same for boxing. The training you do is unbelievable, and there's obviously the weight you have to do as well. So from since I was nearly 9 or 10 growing up, I was always minding my weight and training hard, so... It always helped me the whole way through to keep everything in control and it's all paid off and I'm really glad to have it behind me. I mean, Martin brought up the, the Frankie Vittoria incident on, on Champions Day when he had a crack at you and then he he, uh, he rang up and apologised later. And I think there was a sort of broad um, swell of public opinion in your, in your defence there. Was there a part of that that actually made you a lot better known overnight? You, you know, lots of people knew you were talented, but suddenly a wider audience actually knew your name and knew who you were. Yeah, for sure. Um, it was kind of everywhere, wasn't it? And, and plenty of people did stand up for me, which was good. Um, it doesn't always happen, but we've seen the truth of it kind of after mm. when you actually look through it. There was nothing, any, there was no harm done. Um, it was just race riding at the back end of the day, but... I think when you're riding in those big races, no matter who you are, you have to hold your own and, and take no prisoners no matter who they are. So uh, that's what it's all about, um, doing your best and, and holding your ground. Every interview I've ever read with you, every interview I've ever heard, you seem very comfortable at the, at the top table. You seem to have a nice kind of centred calm about you there. Is that how you really feel inside? Yeah, well, there's nothing to be really getting excited about. <laughs> um, you just have to take it all as it comes, and whatever happens, happens. Everything in the past, you have to move on and look forward, but it's all about the next day. Um, I'm not one to be getting too excited about much. I just take it all in my stride and uh, try and do the best I can for the horse and trainer and all connections. And is that just the way you're wired? Would you say you've always been quite a... I don't know whether laid back's the right phrase, but a, an even sort of person? Yeah, 100%. Um, I like to do 100% in everything I do as well. I'd be very, very competitive when it comes to racing or no matter what it may be. If it was the smallest little race or whatever, it may be even such as a card game or something. I'd be so competitive in everything I do. So um, it's definitely a big help. But um, I've had a really good family behind me my whole way through. And I was brought up good and looked after really well. Um, and I'm just really pleased that I'm getting some good results now and hopefully a long career. And every step along the way, you were kind of working your way into, into racing, meeting people and you know, meeting some very influential figures along the way, like, you know, a certain, a certain Ger Lyons. <laughs> Let's just look at that. Can you remember that? I do. I had hair. <laughs> <laughs> when was that? It's about 10 years ago. Um, it was an open day in race and... Uh, Jer was there and I said that day that that dad's going to be good he's going to be a champion apprentice I'm some judge of a jockey I'm you are <laughs> what a genius you are absolutely yeah. brilliant foresight yeah. I Lyons. called it back then yeah and that's why today you have hired Dylan to ride Helsing yeah the champion is suspended uh, Gary wanted to ride something else so first port of call was Dylan uh, well, I hope you give a good ride Dylan because he's not in a good mood so far <laughs> <laughs> I'll see uh, he's, he's uh, top class I've loved watching him come through the ranks. He handles himself lovely. He's in a great school. And um, he's top of the table, no question. He's a future champion. All right, what makes, what in your opinion, separates a young person with talent 
from a young person who is going to make a champion? Well, you can, you can hear by him his whole demeanour, his attitude, to his discipline. Um, not too high, not too low, that's very important. His work ethic, and you need a work ethic in this sport. He happens to be in a, in a yard that if he didn't have a work ethic, he'd be, he wouldn't be there, you know. So, I mean, he is everything. He takes every box. There's plenty of lads who work very hard and deserve what they get, but only a special few get above that, and he's one of them, I think. Um, Dylan, tell me a little bit about Joseph O'Brien and how you guys interact and how important he's been giving you the confidence you need. Yeah, for sure. Um, he's an unbelievable trainer, as everyone knows, and his results show um, at such a young age and how much he's achieved so far um, throughout the last couple of years has been unbelievable. Melbourne Cups, Cox Plates, all around the world, he's pro proven it. Um, and for me to be down there, getting looked after as well as I am, I'm really, really grateful. Um, there's a lot of great horses down there, um, a lot of good men. You know, runs the show down there, Fazel and Mark, and there's a big team behind the one man as well. Um, a lot of hard work goes on, but just as Jer says, you need to have a good work ethic, ethic, and Joseph's is unbelievable. He's working seven days a week and does long hours. Um, no stone is unturned, but to be down there, you need to be in a big yard, no matter where you are, and I think if you're good enough and you work hard enough, you'll eventually climb your way up to where you need to be if you're good enough and you put in more work than everyone else and, and that's what you need to do to get to the top I think um, I've always had great people around there to to help me out in the yard there's been great riders Declan and Shane and, and everyone else is you know they keep you on your toes at, at all times um, learning from great riders throughout so it was all a big help Talking of learning from great riders you had a little spell with a certain Sir Anthony McCoy didn't you he, uh, he spotted you took you over spent a bit of time with him what did you, what did you, I was going to say, what did you learn from him? I mean, what didn't you learn from him? Exactly. Um, it was unbelievable. I've been over a couple of times and he's looked after me really well. I've went into Jack Dawes Castle as well with him and rode out in a couple of yards and, and whatnot. But for him to take me over at that age, do you know, when I was, I was only 12 or 13, yeah. it was just like And he, had he just seen you in, in ponies and... Yeah, there was a little documentary came out a few years ago, yeah. Five Stone Lead, it was called, and I think Chanel or AP seen it, and um, they contacted my mum then to see if I wanted to come over for a couple of days, and one thing led to another, and um, I had a great experience. Met some good people as well in the time I've met him and been around with him, so uh, it all stands to you. I was going to ask you, actually, being part of that documentary at such a young age, did that help with this sort of side of the job? You're having to be out there, the public-facing side of it, interacting with owners, being on the TV and so on. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, it all helps, for sure. Being behind the camera um, is a big shock for some people when they haven't done anything like that throughout their, their teens or whatever. Um, and the pony racing was a help for that as well. You know, doing interviews after racing, being able to talk to owners and trainers about horses and, and learning to give feedback and whatnot. It definitely all adds up in a bundle, and it's it's a massive help. So two apprentice titles, goodness knows how many pony races won. Group one success with, with Al Riffa last year. Incidentally, what did you make of the comeback yesterday? We were happy with him. Um, ben gave his horse a lovely ride from the front. He was good and aggressive. Um, first run back from my horse, he's going to sharpen up plenty and improve fitness-wise. 
it's his first time around the bend as well. It was all new for him, but he's still a big baby, and I think he'll see a different horse the next day. And in terms of the, this afternoon, we talked a little about White Birch, but you, know, you ride Helsing for Jer. I know a horse Jer likes very much. You ride Munista in the in the big, big sprint as well. Yeah. You've got a ride in the in the railway for for, for Joseph. You, it's a it's a good it's a good book of rides. Who are you most looking forward to getting on apart from the, the Derby horse? Um, obviously Helsing. He's coming off a long break. His form's been very good. He had a really good race here last year in the Goffs Million. And if he can reproduce that form, I know he's against the older horses and whatnot, but. I have a couple of the, the horse in the railway, Mythological, he's going to improve plenty from his maiden run. And he's quite like a big him price a as well, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Um, it was a competitive maiden that day, and I think he's going to sharpen up a lot. Munist, obviously, I think you'll see a better filly today. Plenty of good chances. Very looking forward to the derby ride, but hopefully we can have a bit of luck. But the fact that you mentioned Jer's horse first just goes to show that not only are you in a, an incredibly good rider, you were also a very good diplomat, as if we needed reminding. So um, I appreciate it. Look, you've put a smile on his face now. He's definitely warming up. Hopefully it's He's bigger later. He's definitely warming up now. Look at that. Don't be fooled, I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> It will be to the delight of my next guest, the chief executive here, uh, the Curra, and of course, former chief executive of Horse Racing Ireland, Brian Kavanagh. Uh, Brian, great to, to see you. Thank you so much for having us. How is this all coming together, the Curra? Because it's not been a, a smooth path. Oh, no, we're getting there. Beforehand, it's great to have you here, Nick. Uh, it's, it's, it's really nice to see you here. Uh, it's coming together well. Mm -hmm. I think this, uh, this weekend has been great so far, uh, and we're on a journey with the Curra. As you know, there was a big redevelopment which was completed uh, three years ago. Then, of course, we ran into COVID. Uh, so I started here last year, uh, and uh, we're going very well this year. It's, uh, it's been a positive year for each of our race meetings, and uh, obviously the Derby is the highlight of the year, and uh, it's, uh, it's been very good on Friday and Saturday, and we're looking forward to a good day today. What do you think is the key to putting the Derby, the, the Dubai Jewish Free Irish Derby, back at the heart of, of sporting culture in Ireland? Well, it's not just the Derby. I think the, the Curra in general. I mean, we have two key issues. One is the racing, uh, and secondly is the, is the public and the crowd, and they're, they're our key focus. You know, that we have high-quality racing here all the way through the year, uh, good-quality racing, and we've been doing a lot of work to engage, particularly with our local community, uh, over the last 12 months, and we saw it again on Friday night with a, a big local attendance and again... Do you yes, think that's what you were missing a little bit? Uh, that I think, kind of connection to the really... I, I think so. I, I think the reality is, you know, the, the, there was two years of, of temporary facilities while the place was being redeveloped. Then we had an opening year and then we went straight into two years of COVID. So the reality is people lost touch with the Curra and the Curra lost touch with its, its, its customers. Uh, people weren't used to the new Curra uh, until uh, they were allowed back in last year. Uh, so... Uh, it's been a, a building exercise on that basis. And it's very simple in my view. That's the key. Put on good quality racing, good quality prize money uh, uh, throughout the year and look after your customers when they're here. Uh, so I, I wouldn't complicate it any more than that. Tell me a little bit about the difference for you from a personal standpoint between a, a governance role in, in Horse Racing Ireland and the actual day-to-day -day business of running a race course and kind of manhandling this place back to, to success. Well, I was here before, as you, as yeah, you know, Nick, yeah. uh, but uh, uh, it's, a, it's a change, but it's a, it's a really nice change. I think, uh, you know, 
probably at one level less responsibility, uh, but more operational uh, 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 activity. We have a small team here, so you get the hands probably dirty. Less grief or more grief? Uh, different type of, <laughs> but uh, that's, I, I don't see, see it as grief. I mean, <laughs> Pressure, maybe. Uh, yeah, but if, if, if someone's got an issue, you've got to deal with it, which, whichever job you're, you're, you're working in. So it's really satisfying. You know, working here. There's a, you know, when I came here, there's a challenge to, you know, to put the car back uh, uh, where it should be, uh, and that's why I took on the challenge. Uh, so, really enjoy that. Get a chance to deal on a more day-to-day -day basis with people like Chair and the trainers and the jockeys. Well, I mean, which is always a walk in the park, to be honest, as we've seen today. <laughs> well, in, fa in fairness, we've always, we've always got on well, but it, it's, uh, you know... It, this, it, this time, we can it, sort that out. No, absolutely. <laughs> but, it, no, what I mean is that you're more hands-on with the trainers, yeah. you're more hands-on with the jockeys. And you like that side? I do. I, well, I, I, I really like the people who are involved in racing, you know, generally. They've, they've got a passion. They're, they're optimists uh, uh, by nature uh, if you're involved in mm. racing in some shape or form. And people come to their to, 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 to their role with a passion. So you talk about grief, but I think that's someone just uh, to, 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 just who cares about what they're sure. doing and wants want, wants to make it right. Can I ask you a little bit about the race itself? Obviously, we've got a, a horse today, maybe horses that can really contribute to to putting the race in in lights. Um, possibility, strong possibility of Aidan O'Brien's hundredth European Classic, so it could be a historic day as well. Is this race guaranteed to stay at a mile and a half? Because that's been the bone of, of significant contention, has it? There's a big groundswell of opinion saying bring it, bring it to ten furlongs, try and try and make it carve its own its own path. I think that's a bigger bigger issue, but but the answer is is is, is yes. It's it's a mile and a half race, and it's 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 our intention to keep it at that that level. The point you make is a debate, a broader debate to do with uh, you know middle distance uh, horses, staying horses. Uh, but there's, there's no plan to change the distance of the derby. Uh, that's not an issue. You know, we've the first three from Epsom here, three of the first four from Epsom here today, you know, so uh, that's, that, that, that's a strong turnout. They're all trained in Ireland, uh, which probably reflects the strength of the horses in training in Ireland. Uh, but no, it's, it's, it's a mile and a half race, and, and, and we don't see that changing. Uh, Joe, have you got a view on whether whether it should remain at a mile and a half or whether... whether oh, it of course should... it should stay at a mile and a half, yeah. I mean, we've got the champion stakes at the, at the 10, you know, I mean... This man's been in the game, he's a safe pair of hands and people, racing's been here before all of us and it'll be here after all of us and our job is to, to, to look after this sport and just to turn the derby into something it's not to suit fashion would be wrong. Um, and you're committed to that? Oh, very much so. Yeah, yeah, very much so. I mean, there was, there was an interesting debate by the ITBA on, here on Friday yes. about the, the, the sort of... Uh, conflict between the, the need for speed at mm. the sales and the need for stamina on the racetrack. But uh, no, the, the, I mean, the, the Curra is a, a track that's all about stamina, you know, uh, and, and we like to run horses over, over that distance, so, that, so there's no, no, no question that. Now, I, I, I have very few notes written here. My producer has helpfully put, take a drink. Put, <laughs> put one note on here, which simply says, any political questions, as though there might be any political questions, uh, this week for the uh, the chief executive of the Carra and the man who used to be chief executive of Horse Racing Ireland. Right, what do you make of the, the mess that Dara's got to deal with? I think he'll deal with it. Uh, I, I've, I've been busy with the, the, the derby all week, uh, so I haven't really got a full handle on what's going on. But, uh, you know, I think with both Dara and Suzanne Ede and Horse Racing Ireland, it's in, it's in good hands. Uh, and I think the matter will be dealt with, whatever it is. Mm. Uh, could have done without the publicity on the week of the derby, but uh, you know those things happen. But uh, I, I'd have a lot of faith in the in the, in the process that's that's in train, and I think just leave that happen now and, and, and see what the outcome of it is.
Do, do you think it's in any way um, emblematic of a slightly kind of lackadaisical culture in, in the governance of racing here over the last couple of decades or not? I don't, I don't believe so. No, I don't believe so. I think, uh, you know, the, the, the structure in Ireland is, is, is quite unique. Uh, it's different, but uh, I, I believe it works, uh, you know, and having a, a sort of a central body dealing with the finances mm. and the commercial side of it. Uh, you know, when you see what goes on or, or the structures that are in other racing jurisdictions, uh, you know, I, don't, I never come, came away from those meetings saying, God, I wish we had that or I wish we had that. No structure is perfect. Mm. Uh, and, you know, a lot of it is down to the people who are implementing that structure. But uh, I, I don't think it's fair to say uh, that there's been a lackadaisical approach. I think, you know, certainly from a a horse racing Ireland point of view, there's, 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 there's strong uh, accountability to, to, to government departments and, and, and areas like that. So I don't know enough about the specific question uh, uh, that arose this week to, to comment in detail about it. But, you know, I find with Irish racing in general, you know, people argue, they bicker, all the different factions, but ultimately when push comes to shove, they all pull together quite well. You probably see this sometimes, when, you know, on your international travels. We saw it with COVID, you know, when, when everyone got together within the industry and kept racing going. So mm. I don't think it's fair to say that there'd be a, a lackadaisical approach uh, uh, there. And look, I'd leave it to the people that are dealing with it to, 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 to deal with the matter now. OK. Brian, a little wish list for today. Um, the, the, the wind drops a little bit, I suppose, would be, would be the first one and the sun comes out. But a little wish list to, as to what plays out on the track and how that might impact on the standing of this event. Uh, well, look, we're, we're, first thing is we're in the whirlpool for the first time today. Mm. I, I mentioned prize money earlier. Every race today is worth a minimum of 100,000. Uh, I think that's the way it should be. And, and I'd like to do more of that for our other meetings during the year. Uh, you know, we're obviously looking forward to a great race in the Derby. There's, there's, there's a number of different angles, whether it's... What, what difference will Whirlpool... Can you put a figure on what, what Whirlpool will... will... Hard, hard to put a figure, but it, it's significant. There was, there was €29 million uh, euro bet uh, on, on the Leopardstown uh, Champion Stakes meetings, and that, you know, a, a portion of that filters back to the race course and to the tote. Uh, and you see with the UK tracks, they're using the Whirlpool to, to, to drive their prize money... Uh, uh, levels and that's what we want to do so you know we'd like that to succeed we've got great support from the trainers in terms of of runners uh, that the field sizes uh, you know so that that's a big plus the derby itself you know as you said Aidan's 100th winner is there you know the possibility of this being a, a super horse uh, uh, you, you know uh, relative to all other previous winners of the derby you've got the Jesse Harrington story you've got the the white birch story you've got any amount of, of stories there so so any of those will be a good result. But like any race course executive, they'll say the good result is when everyone goes home, horses and people safe and, and, and have had a good day. So uh, uh, we're looking forward to it. Wind is to die down, I think. And compared to what the forecast was giving us during the week, we're probably in a better place than, than we thought we'd be.
and he can count as well. Come rain or shine, he's the man who's racked up Irish derby wins for fun. He is, of course, Shamie Heffernan, who's aboard Adelaide River today, one of the, the huge battalion of Aidan O'Brien runners. But Shamie, as you know only too well, oftentimes it doesn't really matter what you're slated to ride in the morning. You can come out on top against people's expectations in this race. Exactly, yeah. Um, they're prepared, they're very well bred. And listen, sometimes the main horse doesn't turn up, so the second or third string can pick up the pieces. Do you ever, do you ever sort of come to this day and think, yeah, this is, this is my day. I've won this, I've won this four times. Does it, does it put a spring in your step when you get out of bed on Irish Derby morning? It's usually the opposite. I'm usually happy to run place, and it probably helps that I'm not. There's no pressure on me, and if it happens, then it's brilliant. But uh, these are the days that I keep going for. You want to be right in the big races. You want to be. Um, on television, you want to be doing the interviews, you want to be invited to shows like this. This is, this is what it's all about. But it's interesting you should say that, because obviously you spent quite a lot of your career achieving an awful lot by steady accumulation, but not really being in the limelight. Is that, have you quite enjoyed that contrast or not? Yeah, I probably have the best job in racing, and that's why I've lasted so long, because there's no pressure. And I really enjoy what I'm doing. I get really well looked after. Um, I don't want for anything. If I need anything, the money's there to buy it, so um, I'm in a good place. And you've ridden 13, I think, of Aidan's classic winners, all told. Have I got that right? I think it's 13. Four of these. Um, a derby, of course, on, on Anthony Van Dyke as well. I think there was an enormous amount of goodwill that day because everyone thought, right, they've all, they've all won a derby for, for Aidan, but, but, but shame he hasn't, and that was a, a really special day too. Yeah, um, I was riding to run well, and I rem remember tracking Frankie down and t having to take a pull at the two-pole at Epsom, when you have to do that, if you don't win, you're unlucky. So it panned out. Uh, I met the Queen, and it was really mem memorable what I'd done. When was the first time you recall meeting Aidan O'Brien? Um, I actually went to the apprentice school on the advice from Arthur Moore, um, and I was 15 when I met Aidan in PJ Finns here in Decorah. So he's been pretty much holding my hand for a long time. And how and what age was Aidan at the time? Because so, you're not that far apart, He's are you? Two and a half, maybe three years older. Uh huh. What did you think of him then, when he was 17, you were 15? <laughs> what was he like then? Much the same. Determination. So you could tell even even when he was a 17-year-old. Yeah, he was determined. Yeah, determination. That's one word. But when you say he kind of he looked after you, did you know then that you guys would be doing something? together for a while. Yeah, um, he was there and his sister was married to the headman Chase Levin. So, listen, I was very young and I needed a bit of looking after. So when PJ was winding down, it wasn't working for him. Uh, Aidan left, moved, moved to Jim Bulger and as soon as there was a job there for me, he, he invited me down. I was champion apprentice with Jim and when Aidan went training to the hill, he invited me to go work for him. I was actually meant to ride his very first winner except Jim wouldn't leave me off and I finished third, Pat Gilson rode it. Th those things y y you remember. But uh, listen, we have plenty of arguments and plenty of disagreements. I suppose it just sh sh shows that both of us care. Um, what was Jim Boulder's reaction when you left to go to Aiden? <laughs> I can remember it. It wasn't good. <laughs> um, I wasn't going anywhere because I was contracted from year to year my apprenticeship, so Jim knew the rules and... I, I wasn't going anywhere until it, it was legal that I could go. So that, that's the way that panned out. I mean, you, you had this sort of 
amazing education when you look back on it at the sort of at the foot of these kind of giants of the game. Did you realise at the time what you were what you were experiencing? When when I went to Bulgers, um, I was there with Carberry, Mackay, Willie Supple, Kevin Manning, Christy Roach. I mean, he, he was one of the big names, and I was getting on the good horses. And you had to come in with your boots polished, and when he asked you a question, you, ha you have to ha have the answer ready. Mm. Um, were, so you, were you quick? I got quick. <laughs> I got quick maybe after 10 years. Um, but I enjoyed it. And listen, he, he, it, it was my college. Bulgers was, was my college. It prepared me for what I had to deal with, right up to what I'm dealing with now. Um, do you enjoy that aspect of being a, being a team player? Is that, is that what you were made to do, do you think? Well, when you're aiming at the top and you don't get to the top, you have to be on the best team. So I've been on the best team for a long time, and that's where I fit in. Um, I know when I ride a good horse that the next day I'm probably going to be jocked off, but that's, that's, that's who I am, that's, that's my job, and that's what I'm ha happy doing. But there's that contrast between you, the competitor, because you've got to be a competitor to do this job. But to win 13 classics, to win four Irish derbies, I don't care how good the horses are, you've got to be a keen competitor, right? You've you, you got to be in the, on the right team for starters. You, 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 you got, when you get your opportunities, you've got to get it right. And how have you found not necessarily riding that good horse the next day? You just learn to deal with it pretty quick. If, if you don't deal with it, you, do, you don't stay in the game and you get all different emotions get to you, so you, you, you deal with it and carry on. Who's the best horse you've ridden in a race? I would have to say, so you think. I, I think I should own an arc on him. The race didn't pan out. Not a good stallion now, an okay stallion, but I'd say he was, he was, he was the best, classiest, fastest staying horse I rode. Do you think the ride in the Eclipse, you won the Coral Eclipse on, so you think, didn't you? I did, yeah, no, he was a steering job back I, I, I thought it was a great ride. You may deflect the credit. He was a steering job. All I had to do was follow the horse I had to beat and not get there too soon. He, he was an absolute steering job that day. So he's the one that that's, you felt underneath you had the most innate talent. Yeah, well, I, I think I should have won an arc on him. So that's the one race I haven't won. Uh, for me, he's the one that springs to mind. I, mean, I rode some machines, Mind and Magical. I won in Galileo. He's the world's best stallion that we're probably ever going to see. I, I, I won in such good horses. It's hard, um, it's hard to pick out the ones, but I, I think I should have won an arc on him, and, and I didn't, so that's the one that springs to mind. Okay. Um, in terms of the last, say, decade of your career, have you been more set and settled in yourself latterly than you were than you were earlier on? Was there, was there a period where you kind of just accepted your, your place in the world? I would say so. Um, I've ridden against the best jockeys and there's been days where the first jockey said to me going out, the ground has changed, you and I'll beat mine and they're on a one to two shot and they're telling me what's going to happen. So that's, that's the game we're in, you know. I've been surrounded by the best that were the best for that period. So I suppose it gives you confidence. When you see the kids coming along, you see them making mistakes. They want to get to, to where the best is, but you have to stay in the slow lane for as long as you can. When you get into that fast lane, mm -hmm. you're racing. 
I mean, talk about some of those people who, who have been in the fast lane that have that have that have come across the 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 skyline for you. I mean, from from Christy Roach to Mick Kinnan to Kieran Fallon to Johnny Mercer to to Ryan Moore to Joseph, all the all the first jockeys at at Bally Doyle. Who's had the most profound impact on you? Do you think of all those people? The first and the last, I'd say, Christy Roach all the way through and. Ryan Moore, I think, is bulletproof. Go on. Um, he's bulletproof. So my memory comes from Christy teaching me. You learn bits from all the best in between. I mean, Ballydale target the best, to get the best, and then the, the best chance, whether it's horses, pedigrees, jockeys. That's what you, you need to get the best, to have the best chance of success, and then there's no guarantee. But I, I would say Christy Roach had the biggest influence, and Ryan is probably keeping me going. What did Christy Roach teach you? I guess you were... <laughs> <laughs> you had to get tough quick. Um, you had to get tough quick and take opportunities and get over disappointments very quickly. And what do you, what do you see in Ryan that you haven't, say, seen in Kinan, for example, who was always renowned as being? Yeah, Kinan could ride in any part of the world and not your eye wouldn't be drawn to him and say, who is he, that style is unique or different. Canaan was the daddy at his time, and, and maybe I'm misreading it or misjudging it, but it's only my opinion that maybe Ryan is fresh as in my mind. That's why I think he's mm. bulletproof, but for me, he's, he's bulletproof. And is that, is that just his composure in a, in a race? No, it's his assessment of a horse, how quickly he can get on a horse, ride it, and come to the opinion, I'd be listening to what he'd be saying, and it might match my opinion. H how quickly he can adapt to situations. Um, I mean, he does make mistakes. That's what makes him human. But he, for, for me, he, he's the best. Um, you're, you and Aidan O'Brien are obviously very close. You've had this relationship that goes back such a long way. You know, you've been his great stalwart for so long. And like, you, we've kind of seen what, what, what it is that makes you both tick. Um, where are the areas that you would sometimes disagree with him? <laughs> um, we have plenty of disagreements, but we probably want the same results. Mm -hmm. Both of us hate being wrong. And I just want to be the best at what I do. Do and he wants to be the best of what he does. Is it? Do you think you're quite a good person for him to have, have around? Not just because you've won so many big races, not just because you've got so much experience, but because you can challenge him that little bit and maybe you can make each other think. I'd say it's not a disadvantage mm. us being around each other. Yeah, because you can't. I mean, like, because if you're surrounded just by people who say yes, yes, yes all the time, you're not kind of advancing the cause, are you? Well, I'd agree with you. Yeah, yeah. Would he agree with me? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Talk to me about August Rodan um, and whether you think he's as good a horse as Aidan tells us he is and what the derby suggested he might be. Um, <clears throat> I suppose the Triple Crown is something that's really unique. So if you have a horse that's a classic horse, if you start him off in the first classic and he wins, knowing he, he, he's going to be better going a bit further, mm -hmm. Like, it's a thin line. If you train them really hard for a guineas and have them really, really to the pin of their collar, they're probably not going to last 
the full season. So it's it's a, you're dealing with tin lines, and you need everything to fall yeah. into place correct. There's a lot of professions in this game, trainers, jockeys. So there's a lot of professions. So it's 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 not easy. It's not easy to get it 100% right all the time. Is he a real one? That's what I'm asking you. All these horses that we've been talking about and that you trip off your tongue, could you imagine the, putting him in that list at some point? The signs are he's a real one, but he does have to keep backing up what people's opinion is of him. They can go lame, they can lose the will to win. Little things can go wrong. I've sat in loads of horses that had really, really good potential, but nobody's seen it, so they're not known or they're forgotten about. They have to keep backing it up and produce. What impact do you reckon you could have on Adelaide River on this afternoon's race? <laughs> I'm only hoping for a good run. I mean, could this be a, could this be another rabbit out of the hat? <laughs> could this be a Heffernan special? It's It sounds good, but highly unlikely. Okay. Joe Lyons, what's made this man do what he's done? Intelligence. He's very intelligent. He knew quite a long way a while ago that he was in the best job in, in, in the country, bar none. I mean, he said it himself, there's only one race he hasn't won, and that's the Prix de l'Arc. He's a second jockey. So his intelligence has, has made him accept where he was, accept that he's not going to ride any bigger winners for anybody else, and this is where he's going to be. And I don't think there's a more contented man in the weigh room than I, that I haven't met him if there is. Is that true? Well, I'll take it as a compliment. <laughs> but I'd like it to be true for you. Yeah, content is, 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 a, is a lovely place to be in. It's a lovely word. And I'd say, Jerry, sus, 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 sus me out, yeah? Um, well, it's been, a, it's been an amazing career, no doubt about that. And continue it does. And good luck this afternoon, Jamie. Thanks for, thanks for coming to chat with us. Very best of luck, Martin Dwyer. And congratulations on what has been a, a wonderful career. Derby, Oaks, Coronation Cup. I didn't cry anyway, so didn't get emotional. <laughs> I promised my wife I wouldn't get emotional. I was close. <laughs>